0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Spiritual disciplines, uh, as we've walked through them, I think in some circles, specifically maybe because of the word discipline, have gotten kind of a bad rap. Sometimes discipline is associated with a lack of freedom or a lack of being able to do what, quote, we want or I want. Discipline becomes something where we look at it and we think this is limiting or, you know, God wouldn't want this specific thing. Instead, he would want for me to be able to experience the freedom and all the fullness of life. And let me just say, to some extent, discipline does bring forth a sense of, uh, uh, not necessarily of a lack of freedom, but a sense of, of, uh, of closure, closure, a sense of, of bringing forth an opportunity to be able to experience things within the context of parameters. And the, the, the great thing about that, is, and the good thing about that is, because of the reality of what disciplines are, particularly what we're going to discuss today, the discipline of disciple-making that lack, uh, so to speak, of the world's view, that lack of freedom is actually the answer to one of the world's biggest questions. And that question, in essence, is what am I here for? What am I to do? What is my purpose in life? Today we're going to engage specifically in the missional discipleship Uh, Making spiritual discipline, which means that we, you and I, have the, the blessing, the honor, and the responsibility of being God's hands and feet, his mouthpiece, his conduit, if you will, here on this planet. And no matter the amount of time or the amount of resources, the amount of energy that you and I have, we get to be part of his transformational work. Now, we don't bring the transformation because that's the Holy Spirit's duty and the Holy Spirit's work, and that's, that's not something that we can actually do ourselves because we are, we are mere creations, we are, we are uh, mortals, but we get to be the conduit to which the Holy Spirit can bring forth transformation in the lives of others. Now, he does use other ways and other means, but we get to be one of those ways, one of those means. Perhaps you've started a new job in your life. Probably most of, a, most of us in here have at some point. Maybe started a, a, a new year at school. Maybe you've started um, something new in your life. And when you started that, quote, new thing, you were given marching orders, Or you were given some sort of mission, some sort of uh, of advice, or some sort of uh, specific orders. Here is what you are to do when you work here, when you go to school here, when you do this, when you do that. Maybe even within the context of your family here, the marching orders for what it means to be part of our family. Marching orders were given on how to operate, what to say, what to do in your life. It's interesting to note that within the context of life, and within the context of the way that we live our lives, that, that God has not for, forsaken us. He has not left us. In fact, he has granted us what we would consider, what we would know as marching orders. As a, a younger person than I am now, I've got to be careful how I say this. You're really young. And some of you say you're old. And I get that on both ends. That was a joke, I guess. Maybe it wasn't, I don't know. In this specific context, I was working a new job, and when I started this job, I was actually coming in the same time someone else was retiring. And it was interesting to note the impact that that, the conversation that I had with that individual who was retiring the same week when I was starting, as they gave what I would understand as marching orders for the role that I was stepping into. It was similar to the role that they had done for uh, several decades of their life. And as they talked through these specific things, the fact that they were stepping away brought forth a greater importance for what they were telling me and what my role was as I stepped into it. Disciple making is an interesting thing because it's not just one of the teachings that Jesus granted to his disciples or to all followers for all time as he did in other instances throughout his career. Instead, this is the final challenge and teaching that Jesus Christ gives humankind, gives you and I before he ascends into heaven. In essence, what he's saying is, here's what you are to do before I return, while I am gone. He also talks about, within the context of his teaching, the fact that one will come, the Holy Spirit will come and be here with us and is here with us even now. But but within that context, we recognize the fact that Jesus says, here are your marching orders. Here's what I'm calling you to do. And that is elevated even more because it's the last words that Jesus chooses to share with those that are there, and us included, before he leaves. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 28. Perhaps you've heard of this passage before, perhaps you've read it or seen it on, on a wall in someone's house, maybe even your own house. The Great Commission, as it's dubbed within the context of, of Christian circles and Christian tradition, this is Jesus' commissioning, this is his marching orders, this is what he grants and gives for us to be able to cling to. This is the answer to the question, beyond loving our God and, and engaging with him, this is the response to that love, this commissioning of being his hands and feet. I'll start in verse 16, and it reads like this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we've heard that before. Actually, a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that that Jesus recognized he had all authority. And the first action that he did was to wash the feet of his disciples, of his followers. And then in verse 19, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations all nations, not just those that you like, not just those that agree with you, not just those that are right there uh, that that are, are easily absorbing the information or easily absorbing what you have to say, but make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them and teaching them. This context of teaching is an important one too because there's a recognition there that it's not just about that salvation moment, that conversion moment, which many of us have experienced where we give our our, our heart to Christ, we recognize we're a sinner and we we allow God once again again, to come into our life because he didn't force his way in, but he's been knocking at the door and we finally open it. We say, God, come in. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And at that point, it isn't over. Instead, right here, we recognize that in the process of making a disciple, or teaching a, or recognizing the engaging with the disciples is this teaching element. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them Scripture, teaching them what it means to follow Jesus. And surely I am with you always. What an what an amazing thought that is too. The recognition that Christ gives us there is you're not in this alone. It's not a, hey, I'm leaving and hopefully you can figure it out while I'm gone. But instead, I am with you within the person of the Holy Spirit. I am with you always, not some of the time. I get on uh, one of my kids about using absolutes. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, everybody's doing this. No, 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 no. No, not absolute. But in this case, yes, the absolute is there. He is always with us to the very end of the age. Are you encouraged by this passage this morning? Are you maybe a little bit taken back by this passage and the call that God has for us? Do you feel unworthy this morning of the call? Does it bring a little bit of clarity to the question that perhaps you've asked before or maybe you've heard others ask, which is, what am I doing here? Why am I here? God, what do you want for my life? And ultimately, sometimes we want to answer that question, like, what job do you want me to have? Where do you want me to go to school? But in essence... What we see here is that no matter what, God has called you and he's called me to be his disciples. And and part of the mantle, a big part of the mantle of being a disciple is that rippling effect, that rippling impact of being a disciple who makes disciples. The nature of this passage is is an amazing one. This words and this charge is for all believers, for all who come to the Lord, and this vision casting that he does here is simply, uh, actually falls specifically in line, or our vision falls specifically in line with this, which is that God calls us to be a culture, calls us to be a church who doesn't just keep the message to ourselves and say, okay, we've got this figured out. No, we gather in this place not because we're saying, okay, this is our place and no one else is invited. No, we come here to fellowship together, to worship together, to worship our God so That we can be encouraged and that we can be recharged and we can go out into the world and be changed and be different. And we can be change agents and different within our sphere of influence. It applies to our vision statement because we want to be a culture. We don't want to be just a church that, that gathers and that does things together and that has a good time. That's part of it, but we want to be a culture, a church that we are growing, that we are sharing our faith. And with that sharing of faith, we're also building others up, helping them to know Jesus. The way that we know him. The Great Commission make disciples who make disciples. What is a disciple? What is discipleship? A disciple is one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrine of another. We read in scripture about the 12 uh, disciples that followed Jesus. And there are many more that did. And we see the one that fell away. And then we see the fact that those disciples in their faithfulness, uh, they pass the the, the message on. They spread it uh, beyond themselves. And and the reason we know that is because we have that today. We have the message today. And we also are granted the opportunity to have the name disciples. Discipleship is the process of spreading the good news. Discipleship is, is that process of being part of the formative action of helping others to know and to grow in their faith, to experience and to hear the gospel so that they might be changed and transformed as a result of it. To use perhaps a a physical, um, mental picture of what this is, discipleship is operating as a conduit For Christ. Now, this is one meaning, this is one part of it. Discipleship is a larger uh, element, but as we look at this specific spiritual discipline, discipleship is operating as a conduit for Christ. The simplest form is, is us being what John the Baptist was, which was basically he stepped forward, used what he had to be able to point others towards the foot of the cross, towards Jesus. It's helping others to know through, through, through reading the word and through the truth and through prayer and through engaging what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how that's lived out in our lives. To use our gifts, to use our time, talent, and treasure to be the, 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 the change agent that God chooses to use in the disciple making process. A conduit or a channel or a duct or a pipe or, or, or a tube requires three things. It requires three specific things. That's why this illustration or this metaphor is so good. It requires that something comes into it, right? Right? A conduit is worthless. A, a, a duct is worthless if it simply uh, remains empty. And so it requires something to pour into it. And that something for us as believers is, is Jesus, right? We, we have to have this, this overflow, this pour, this, this, this open stream of allowing God to infill us and to bring forth a new day and an understanding to help us to, to grow in our faith. At the same time, there must be something in it, right? There has to be, beyond this entry point, there has to be an infilling, and this infilling means that there's, there's something that permeates within us. I was reading just this week about the difference between competency and, and, and the difference between competency and character and the recognition of the fact that how important character is. This, is this, this character element is the recognition of who we are, not what we can do or what we can offer, but who we are. And God chooses to use us not because of the things, the gifts that we have while he wants to use those. He uses us because of the character that we have, that connection, that closeness with him. The way that we allow him to change us, him to transform us. We step away from the selfishness or the brokenness of the world and we let God be the change agent within us first. And then finally, when that takes place, the conduit needs to have an exit point. You and I have been around, you know, a puddle or that bucket that's been sitting out back that fills up with water and that gets stagnant and gets gross. And we see that, and we think, man, that container is just just holding everything in and that's what happens when we hold everything in even if it's even if it's good things we're holding all this care to what happens eventually is we get self righteous and we think we know everything and instead of pouring it out and being an overflow for what God has for us we end up becoming stagnant in the opposite of what God can and wants to use to glorify himself and to help others see him. And so a conduit needs an entry point from God. A conduit needs to, to have this indwelling of the Spirit. And this conduit needs to have the place where it releases. It. it pours out for others to be able to experience and to know Jesus the way that we know him. We're going to continue with this, this same metaphor as we walk through today's uh, primary teaching, which is to circle around this person named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And some of you might remember last week we talked a little bit about Paul. Although we called him something else. We called him Saul, right? Right? And we specifically address the fact that Saul went from a place of being a murderer, not just a murderer, but a murderer of Christians. A person who would have come in here today and, and, and asked us, hey, are you a believer in Jesus? And then he would have had us hauled away to prison if our answer was yes. Yes. He went from a place of, of wanting to eliminate anybody that had anything to do with this guy, this, this, this person who came, who took power away uh, from, from, from the Pharisees and said, okay, you know what? I, I don't want anybody to follow him because it takes our power away, so I'm going to get rid of you. He went from that to being a person who totally followed Jesus, who took all the things that he had in the past, he threw them away, and he said, I don't care where I was or who I was. I know who I am now, which is a follower, a disciple of Jesus so we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's life and the recognition of what it means to be a champion of the Great Commission, because Paul was a champion of the Great Commission. He recognized, he knew what Jesus's words were, not just because we we see them written in his texts in many of the places that he wrote within Scripture, but because he lived it out. And that's not just recorded in in his passages. Instead, that's also recorded in the works of others, in the works of others who wrote about what it looked like in the early church and how they lived. So let's explore for, for a time as we walk through this service. Let's explore what it means to live out the Great Commission just as Paul did. As we identify these different actions from Paul's life and writing, I want to take a moment to, to uh, reflect upon each at the end. And, and part of this is going to be the, the, uh, the understanding that when we come in to this place, And I believe I've said this before, we come into this place, oftentimes there's a response and there should always be a response after the word is read and explored. And sometimes that response is a time of kneeling at an altar. Sometimes that response is a song where we, we, we lift God up together and we t- spend a time in reflection. Sometimes that response is communion together. It could be any number of things. Today's response is going to require that you, and then I, all of us included, take some time, take a moment to reflect upon what God's calling us to do and who he's calling us to embrace, and then to step out and do it. Perhaps you're like me and sometimes you take really good notes or really good mental notes. You think, okay, I've got everything that was supposed to be done and then it stops there. Maybe even put it together. You've got a collection of good notes. You say, okay, I've got all these notes together. We're good to go. That's great. I'll just add it to the pile and then it stops there. Today, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you not to let this just be a good notes or good thoughts sermon, but instead, may this be If not any other time, may this be a time when you step out and you take action based upon the challenge from Paul this morning. I'm going to read several different passages as we kind of walk through this together. And the first one's from Acts chapter 18. And Acts is is a recording of what took place in the early church after Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came. And in chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, reads like this After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Not Athens, Ohio, uh, Athens on the other side of the world. It says, There he went, there he met a Jew named Aquila and and a native of Pontus who had recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And so Paul comes across these two individuals, a, a married couple, and, and as he meets them and greets them, he says, oh, okay, they're, they're Jewish. They have an understanding of the background. Of the, they, have, they know the Old Testament. They have an understanding of the background of who God is. I'm going to engage with them. I'm going to talk with them. They've been put in my path, and so I'm going to engage with them. Paul went to see them. He went to see them. He didn't just assume that things were going to show up one day and say, well, God, if, if, if you ever send them my way. No, he intentionally went to see them. And, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So there's a lot of things that we can pull out of this. Particularly, he took action to step forward and talk to individuals that were placed within his sphere of influence. But also he found common ground so that they might be able to have some form of interest that they could talk about, discuss, and embrace. Paul was, um, Paul was not only a preacher and a teacher and a missionary but, and a prisoner, but Paul was also what this passage calls a tent maker. And it's interesting to note, if you've not been around church for a long time, or perhaps you have, that in most cases, we don't recognize the fact that Paul was a tent maker as much as we recognize that Paul was a missionary or a great teacher. In fact, some don't even know that Paul was a tent maker. Many times I've talked to someone about, oh, well, this could be your tent maker ministry and and, and it'd be an opportunity for you to be able to share and they don't really understand the reference because we don't talk about Paul being a tent maker. But in essence, what Paul was doing is he was taking the thing that he already did, making tents, so to speak, and he was using it as an opportunity in his life to be able to share the gospel with someone else. And the first point is this, if you're following along in your note guide, missional discipleship is not another thing to add to your schedule. In fact, the philosophy that Paul had here was, hey, I'm not adding something else to my schedule. I'm doing this as part of what I do. I'm already here, we're already working together, so I'm going to use this opportunity to share the gospel, to share the truth with this couple. You know, most don't recognize, and maybe within the context of this passage, it maybe should be a concern. They don't recognize that Paul was a tent maker, but it is so important that we recognize this in the same way that the gospel does. Because the gospel doesn't just say that this is part of the way that Paul financed his ministry. Instead, it was his ministry to be a tent maker. You know, sometimes we look specifically at different calls within our life. We look at calls that we might have, and God calls us to, to be a teacher. God calls us to work in a factory. God calls us to be a parent. God calls us to the military. God calls us to be a police officer. And we think, okay, well, that's what I do for a living. And then I've also got this ministry over here. What Paul was, was trying to communicate through his actions here is no matter what you're doing is your ministry. If you're a parent, you don't have to look around to find a place to minister. You've got built-in disciples right there that you can pour into. If you're a grandparent, the same right. If you, if wherever you work, whatever you are doing, whatever place that you find yourself on a, a daily basis, whether it's be for, your, for uh, your livelihood or simply just one of the hats you wear, that's the place to which you can be a disciple maker. When I, um, when I lived in Indiana, my wife and I lived in Indiana, we, um, we, we, I was bivocational and I worked within the church, but I also worked at a hardware and lumber store, a regional chain. And I can tell you right now that I engaged with more people who were not believers in that setting than I ever have within the context of working as a pastor within the church. And so in some regards, I do envy some of you who have the opportunity every day to step into your mission field. But at the same time, I recognize the fact that God gives us opportunities every season to be able to be a light for him. And I recognize that some of you are stepping into very dark environments Some of you are stepping into places where the gospel is opposed. And I know that some of you think, well, I don't think that I can do this in my context. Well, let me just say, if you live this out and you have the opportunity, God will bring forth fruit from your action. You may not get to see it, but seeds are planted and lives will be changed. That's the way the Holy Spirit works because God loves to use our faithfulness. He loves to use your faithfulness, even in the midst of the darkness. As 1 Corinthians nine twenty two 22 uh, reads, we recognize that Paul talks through this, uh, this opportunity that we have to, to be all things to all people. This principle makes sense when identified with this following statement and the second point, and that is this, missional discipleship is a lifestyle. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Give you a minute to write that down. This was that as, as he was going mentality, as he was on his way mentality, as Paul was going from here to there, as Paul was going to make tents or to meet with customers, as he was going mentality. It's not about this adding something to your schedule. It's not about saying, okay, here's the set time when I'm going to do ministry. Here's the set time when I'm going to go on a mission trip. You know, oftentimes the the the, the reality of, of missionaries, foreign missionaries, is one where in the past you might have looked at it and thought, wow, that person's really doing ministry. They're really sold out for what it means to do ministry. I, I want to fund them. I want to help them and kind of stop there. No, we can fund that and we should fund that. We should fund anytime God calls us and leads us to, to give our time, talent, and treasure to others. But also... We should live that. That passage in its entirety in 22 and 23, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. In order for the gospel to be heard, followers must first relate to those they're ministering to. I think sometimes we get a bad rap when it comes to disciple making. In fact, as I drive by our sign, a lot of times I drive by our sign out there uh, on the the highway, I I read stuff and I try to read it as if I'm not a person that's going to be here on Sunday morning or I'm not the person who's writing the sermon, right? And this week as I drove by and I saw it said missional disciple making, I'm sure there were people that drove by and thought, ugh. Somebody's going to come and try to do some sales pitch on me. Great, the Wesleyan Church, I'm going to have to avoid all the Wesleyan Church friends and neighbors that I have because they're going to come over and they're going to give me some speech, one, two, three, on why I need Jesus. You know, sadly, sometimes the church, sharing our faith, the church gets this bad rap of, oh, well, we just, we just want to share this message and get you to join our club, have you ever loved something so much? Have you ever engaged in something so much that, man, you really want everybody else to experience it? I mean, there's, a, there's an entire industry based on, on the star system, right? Where you, where you star specific things based on how good it is. I went to a, an ice cream place uh, twice this past week, actually three times this past week. Um, and I would give it five stars every time. I, I would tell anybody, hey, get there before the flavor of the week changes because this is a good one. Some of you know where I'm talking about right now. And within that context, that 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 like that that understanding that likes all things, like if you and I love Jesus so much, have experienced His love, and know Him in a greater way, why on earth would we keep that to ourselves? It's not about a sales pitch. It's not about trying to get somebody else to join the team. It's about loving other people and having the opportunity to share that love with them so that they can experience it too. Deep down, even our, our, our furthest enemies, if we even have those, we want them to know Jesus. Deep down, we want everybody to know that truth. We want everybody to experience that love, that unconditional love that we've experienced as believers. And what more effective place for us to be able to share that truth through real relationship than at home or at work or at school, a place where we find ourselves every single day. The third point under that is this, missional discipleship is relational. Missional discipleship is not about going out and trying to, to, to hook people and, and give them that, that one, two, three. While there is opportunity, and let me just tell you right now, it's, it's not a, a, you know, a, a, I'm not right now giving you permission to never share your faith with somebody you might consider a stranger. In fact, if the Spirit calls you to do it, do it. Because that, that, and oftentimes those are the miraculous times when they've already had several seeds planted and God's calling you to, to be one of those individuals that pours into their life. But don't view it as a sales pitch and don't view them as a stranger. Instead, view it as an opportunity for them to be able to experience the love that you've experienced. While at the same time recognize the fact that those within your tribe, those within your small group, those are the ones God has put in your path and your way to be able to engage with to be able to love. What what better form, what better gift, what better form of love can you share than sharing the opportunity for somebody else to experience the love of Jesus? Our motivation is to share the hope, to share the love that we've experienced with others. Missional discipleship is relational. Now in a practical sense, Paul... Intentionally engaged in relationships that would bring growth, health, and eternal kingdom building. Paul was very intentional while he didn't have, you know, he didn't give us within his, 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 uh, his writings a specific schematic or a, a flow chart of what it should look like to be a disciple and what it means to disciple others. He didn't give us all of these specific practical things, but he lived it out. And then the way that he lived out his life, he, re- he reveals to us what it looks like in, in many ways to be able to have relationships that are going to bring forth this opportunity for us to be able to grow in discipleship making and be discipled as well. There's three types of relationships that are necessary that Paul specifically lives out, these discipleship uh, relationships. And within this context of the conduit, we recognize that there's flowing in, there's, there's marinating and dwelling, and there's also an outpouring. And the question is so, how does this happen? And the, and the response is this everyone needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. And maybe you've heard this before, these three relationships, though specifically, are three that build up the believer in a way that they can be mentored, they can be an associate with others, and minister together, and they can mentor someone else. A pretty simple principle, but when applied, can be transformative in our lives. And so here's here's the three. First, in, in one Peter five five through seven, it reads like this: In the same way, you who are hungry, submit you who are hungry, submit yourself to the el- to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. The first point there under that last section is this Paul acts as the mentor. You and I know people who have done more life than us, us, that have been through uh, situations, that have been through things, that have been through uh, life's circumstances. And and for that reason, we have the opportunity to be able to call upon them, to ask them, to to mentor us, to pour into us. In that conduit measure, God wants to use other people to be the inflow, to be the one who who brings, or or maybe group of people, who who bring forth the gospel truth and bring forth that, that character nature into our lives, into us as a conduit. We need someone to pour into us, someone to further us in our, in our faith who are already or is already further along in theirs. I was talking to a friend not too long ago who works in student development at a Christian university, and he said the most successful students that he sees as he walks through this uh, student development and, and, and the understanding of what it means to engage with students as they are, are there during the, those formative years, um, the most successful students are the ones who ask for and identify and, and recruit a mentor in their life. Those who, whether it be a professor or, or they have mentors actually at the school or maybe even an older student or someone else who lives in the area, those who recruit an actual mentor within their department, no matter what they're studying, a mentor in their department are the ones who bring forth the most success because they ask questions. They learn. They put pride aside. They recognize, hey, I don't know everything. I don't think you know everything either. And if you're a mentor in somebody's life, you don't have to have it all figured out. You just share what you know. You share what God's done in your life. You share the, maybe even the mistakes you've made and what took place as a result of those. Because on the other side, sometimes we, we need to be a mentor to people in our lives, but we say no, or we shy away because we don't think that we're, we're equipped or well-equipped or we could do it. And even in the midst of the storm, I think it's taking place outside. <laughs> God might call you to be a mentor. He might be calling you to be a mentor right now to someone. That's the entry point of the conduit. Acts 15, 36 reads like this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached. Not where I preached Paul, the one who knows everything, but where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Within the context of of this Barnabas, there's the associate. Those who he minister alongside. Those who we grow with, those who, we, who, who we, we have a relationship, what would be considered maybe a friendship or an association where we, we, we give and take, where we're always working together. Someone who labors and works alongside us. The Bible's full of gospel partnerships. Paul with Barnabas, later Paul with Silas. As gifted as Paul was, he was never a one-man show. He was never the guy who said, I, I, "I'm going to do all this. I Paul am the best, and I don't need anybody else." He worked alongside hundreds of people, like Barnabas. You know, sometimes in a larger church setting like this, even if you're you, you you've come for a long time, you might look at it and you think, "You know what? Everything's covered." Even as I talk about the the volunteer conference that's coming up, you might think everything's covered. All the classes are taught. There's there's greeters, there's ushers, and kids and youth are all taken care of. Everybody's being visited. Everything's taken care of. And that might be the assumption because it's a larger church. But let me just tell you, within that understanding, with the fact that it's a larger church, that means there's more opportunity to serve. There's more opportunity to grow together, to be associates, to be Barnabases with one another. And so I'll say this first, the the primary point here of recognizing the fact that, that we need to have Barnabas in our life is also the fact that we have opportunity every single day to serve and to be part of the service of God's kingdom right here in our local context as part of this church. Being filled with the conduit. We have this conduit coming in. We have this infilling of the conduit. And then finally, the third one, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, and it reads like this. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And this message is heard by this young person who's, who's receiving the mentorship of Paul. Who's receiving this, this truth. And this Timothy, this apprentice, is receiving this information recognizing the fact that there's the, he, he is the overflow, and, and God has given, and I know this because I've talked with many of you. I've had conversations with many of you, and many times it's not intentional. Many times you're just sharing your life experience, but you have helped to mentor me and to share wisdom with me about this culture, about the truth, about the gospel, about everything under the sun, whether it be uh, something within the church or outside of it, and the reality of, of, of that that, that gift of, of what you are doing for me and what you do for others is the fact that we all need to have some place or someone that we are the overflow for where we share the truth that God has shared with us. It's part of the gift that we have as believers is being able to be the conduit, be able to be the one who shares with others. We see that back in Acts chapter 18 with Paul, uh, he comes to Priscilla and Aquila and and these two new converts, he's teaching them, he's bringing forth the truth for them. Paul Paul invested a significant amount of time and energy in young Timothy. And now Timothy was the instructor to do the same with other men, the outpouring of the conduit on the other end. So I talked about a challenge early on in the service and here's, here's the challenge. If you're one of those type A personalities, you recognize there's three blanks that I left and I didn't fill in. And you're like, what's going on? I can't even put my pen away and the music's playing already? What's going on here? This is your moment to prayerfully begin to identify who might be on those lines. I'm not giving you the answer because I don't know it. But what I do know is that the, the example of Paul here is that we all have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy, at least one in our lives. And so the challenge is, and hopefully continues to be, who are those people in your life? Who are the people who have come before you that can help to mentor you, to bring you along no matter where you are in your faith? Who are the people you can serve alongside or the person you can serve alongside? Who is the person that you can pour into, that that you can identify, that you can say, hey, I want to share the truth. I want this person to learn and to grow. And and I'll, I'll say this right now. I know that sometimes they're already there. You may already have this, but maybe it's time to formalize it. Maybe it's time to step in and formalize it with this person. Last week, we talked specifically about accountability partners. Maybe the associate is an accountability partner, and you've got it there, but you want to formalize that and say, hey, or or maybe you invite someone and say, hey, can, can you mentor me? Or on the other end, can I mentor you? And there's no right or wrong way to do that. There's many different facets to be able to have those relationships. And certainly, you know, here, and you can contact the office and say, hey, do you have anything structural we can walk through together? I'd love to be able to mentor in this way or that way or whatever it might be. We all need someone to build into our lives to mentor us. We need someone we can labor alongside. We need someone who can, who can pour into us to pass on their wisdom and their knowledge and their experience to us. And probably not just one in many cases, we need more than one. And so here's the question Do you have a Paul, a Barnabas? and a Timothy, because discipleship-making, disciple-making, I should say, requires all three. And if you don't, there's no reason to get discouraged or bogged down, but today, in this moment, we're going to start together to reflect upon and pray for God to reveal those people or that person to us. We're going to be intentional about asking them when we leave this place or maybe even in this place. Maybe the person's sitting right next to you right now. Or maybe you're going to go down and you're going to pick them up for children's ministry after service. Or maybe you're going to call them today or text them this afternoon. Or maybe you're going to have lunch together. But the Great Commission requires that we as the church pour into one another in a loving relationship with Jesus as our main objective to share truth and to build disciples. I'm the man I am today because of the faithfulness of others bringing forth an opportunity for me to be able to grow and to know Jesus. I, I, I might be standing on third base, so to speak, but I didn't hit a triple. I'm here because... Maybe I got walked to first base and then somebody was able to to bunt me over to second base and then somebody hit a a fly ball to to right field and I got to third base. I'm there because of the faithfulness and the obedience of other people who are willing to pour into me. And really I kind of see it not as a bad word as an obligation, but as an obligation to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to share in the blessing and I'm going to do for others while I continue to learn. We're a conduit. We're all, let me, we're all going to have a funeral one day. And no one at that funeral is going to get up and say, man, they were... They were so successful in their fourth quarter in 2019 at work. They did so good on that one test. Man, they, they, they really invested a lot in the stock. No one's going to say any of that. What they're going to say is they were a kind person. They were a selfless person. They loved their family. They were always pouring to others. They were humble and they listened. Those are the, ca- the qualities that they're going to say. And you know what's interesting? The reason that those things are what stand out the most is because that's what God calls us to be. And no, we're not doing it so that someone gives a nice eulogy at the end of our lives, but we are doing it because we recognize that there will be an end. There will be an eternal destination for you and for me. And so we have the opportunity now to be able to help others to experience God's love, both here and forever. So disciple making is. I'm going to take a moment now, and we're going to pray. And I want to, just before I begin to pray, I'm just going to, just a moment for we can be quiet and think and reflect as the beginning of this asking God. And ask the question, God, reveal that person or those people to us so that we might be able to experience what it means to be mentored, what it means to, to associate and to serve alongside others, and what it also means to mentor someone else. And as we reflect on that, may that just be the start. Maybe a name comes right to your mind right now or a face and you can write that down on your your notes or, or maybe it's gonna take a couple of days or another day or maybe it's already somebody you have, but whatever it might be, that second part, which is the response and that response takes place not necessarily in this service, but beyond. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC it is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible also if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about ccwc feel free to contact our office check the web or follow us on our social media platforms if you enjoyed today's podcast we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life you're always welcome to join us on sunday morning for worship or until then We'll catch you on the next one. God bless.